I'd invite you to open your Bibles to 2 Timothy chapter 1. Fall is an awesome time uh, to build a campfire. How many have campfire pits in your backyard? Some of you, and some of you go to camps and stuff. Uh, I just went to a retreat this past week, pastor's retreat in Nebraska. We had this campfire after an evening session, and right behind us there were coyotes howling. It sounded like 10 yards away, right in the woods behind us. And we heard deer, and uh, it was just an amazing setting. And so at the end of the night, I was with this pastor from Iowa. We were just ta- talking, and the fire went down to about nothing. And so we had to get some more wood, throw it on there, fan it back into flame so that we experienced this heat and this warmth and this beauty. Well, in the same way Jesus said, you are the lights of the world because you reflect the light of the world, Jesus Christ, through your life. And you extend his warmth and love to the world as well. But sometimes our flame can be diminished, close to being extinguished. Although Christ never leaves us, it feels that way because of the opposition that we experience or the pressures that we undergo or the fear or the discouragement. And it feels like, oh man, I'm not burning bright at all. Well, that's how Timothy felt in the context of 2 Timothy. His uh, mentor and disciple, uh, he was near death. This was the last letter that Paul would have written in, in his letters in the New Testament. And he wrote it to Timothy. And Paul knew that he was nearing his death. He sensed it from the Spirit of God. I think Timothy knew that Paul was perhaps nearing the end of his life because he'd be martyred for Christ. So Timothy felt alone. Uh, he felt like almost quitting in Ephesus, this, that which Paul had entrusted in his care to take care of the church in Ephesus. Uh, it was too much for him. How could we continue without the apostle Paul encouraging me? And I remember saying, having to say goodbye to my grandfather when I went to college for my third year, and he was sitting in his living room. I can see him sitting in his comfortable chair, and he was just in tears because he knew that he was dying. And I knew that he, I wouldn't see him again. And then I had to do the same with my father uh, four years ago. And then now I'm doing it with my mother currently who's on hospice. And my wife did it with, I had to say goodbye to her father this past summer as well. And he asked the questions, how, how can we go on in this world without our loved ones who invested so much into our lives And that's what uh, Timothy was was sensing as well. Furthermore, the ministry for Timothy in Ephesus, it it was less than ideal. I mean, things went okay for him and went well, and God proved himself in Ephesus. But at the same time, Timothy was feeling a lot of pressures, not only from outside in the culture, but also within the church itself, the churches. And these teachers are bringing pressure against him. The outside pressures are experienced today by us as well. For example, you send your kid to a university, state university somewhere, and they'll sit under professors oftentimes who will try to teach that all truth is relative. There's no absolute truths. What's true for you may not be true for me. They teach that. That's the religion of our land today, relativism. There's no absolute truth. Um, until a student raises their hand and says, Professor, yes, are you sure about that? Well, yes, I'm sure about that. Well, Professor, are you absolutely sure about that? 
Well, yes, I'm absolutely sure. Well, then you don't believe in absolute. Then then you don't believe in relativism. You just made an absolute truth statement. And I'm absolutely sure that there's no absolute truth. Um, Which seems ludicrous to us, but that is the popular mindset today. You know, what may be true for you is true for you, but there's no one truth for everyone. And so we get hit by the culture, and sometimes if you're working uh, for Christ and serving him, it gets discouraging when you're um, paddling upstream. Uh, There was also plenty of legalism to go around within the church, a list of religious rules and expectations for Timothy as the pastor. And I've known a lot of pastors, um, as of late especially, who want to leave the ministry. It's not worth it to their family just to endure all sorts of internal and external pressures. They said, I just want to paint houses or get a real job, you know, instead of working in the church, you know. And uh, Timothy was tempted to quit. And perhaps, though, you felt like you wanted to kind of quit a ministry that God is asking you to do because, man, you're just so tired and you're nearing retirement or whatever, and you just want to take life easy and relax and live for yourself for a change. Maybe because God didn't come through, or maybe because another Christian hurt or disappointed you. Yet Paul sought to encourage young Timothy to carry on when he wrote in chapter 1, verse 6, Timothy, fan into flame the gift of God which is in you through the laying on of my hands. How could Timothy fan fan into flame this gift from God? How could he return to a ministry where he would experience joy and passion and vision and excitement once again? And how can we? Well, Paul offers Timothy four steps in this chapter alone. He just says, do these four things, Timothy, or one of these things, and you'll be on your way. He said, first of all, make prayer priority. And Paul demonstrated this. In verse 3, he said, I thank God whom I serve as my ancestors did with a clear conscience. As night and day, I constantly remember you, Timothy, in my prayers. Paul was a man of prayer. He understood that prayerless faith meant powerless faith. He also understood that prayer was a discipline. It was a choice. Every Wednesday for the past 13 years at least of my being here, we've had a prayer team that prays at uh, eight, nine, nine, o'clock, eight th- 9 o'clock every morning, 9 to 10.30 every morning on Wednesday. And there are 8 or 10 of us who meet together, and we take the prayer uh, cards that you leave off in the box, but we also pray about bigger matters in the world as well, not just church matters, which are not more important, but we pray, cover it all. We cover this church in prayer, and uh, God has honored our prayers. We pray for unity, for example. And uh, God has honored our prayers. For 15 years that I've been here, our church has experienced unity, which is almost unheard of in a church like this. For 15 years, we've prayed that God would provide for our financial needs, and he's never let us down. Not just for 15 years, but for 140 years of our church's existence, God has provided On occasion, we hear families or couples who leave this church because they get transplanted elsewhere or they they get a job somewhere else or they move out out of state. And I remember three years ago that six key families or couples came up to me during the summer and they they told me, you know what, Um, we got transferred. We're moving to Kansas City or we're moving to California or whatever. And I I thought, oh my word, how are we ever going to make it as a church? Not only are these people 
who give to support financially, but they give in so many other ways, and yet God is faithful to bring people into our church who are new. As of three years ago, we have tons of new people coming here. God says, I want my church to be healthy, and I'm going to lead people to countryside who will continue to equip and build the body of Christ. God has been faithful to hear our prayers. For the past one and a half years, we pray that God would fend off COVID, that we would not become a hot spot, and we haven't at this point. We can say knock on wood, but I say praise the Lord, um, and I pray that we will never be a hot spot here. Although it was announced we were a hot spot this past week, did you see that? It, it wasn't true, though. I called, and they said, it's not true, and it wasn't. They made a mistake. Um, for 15 years, we've prayed that con- a countryside will bring glory to the name of Christ through our worship of him and through our mission into our um, community and world. And he's done that through so many faithful people. Again, you know, more recently, the Oak Harbor Cottages, they continue to go up in, la- in large part because of people in this church who had the vision. Um, Trunk or Treat served 800 people, families, kids uh, this past Halloween right here in our parking lot. Um, we have an upcoming Operation Christmas box giving around the world that we're uh, hosting. And so on and on, I can go on. We believe, though, that without prayer, our efforts will come to nothing. We'll be like hamsters, busy running, 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 but going nowhere without prayer. I believe prayer is the furnace room for every other ministry in this church and in our lives as well. Samuel Chadwick said, the one concern the devil is to keep, the one concern of the devil is to keep Christians from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies or prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil. He mocks at our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Paul let Timothy know, I'm constantly praying for you, Timothy, day and night. You're always in my mind as I sit here in chains in prison. So I'm asking you to be prayer warriors on behalf of your family, your community, and your church. Um, that's the best thing you can do for us. Um, we can, we're all prone to complain about things we don't like. Well, the solution to that is to pray um, that God would move Pray for unity. Pray for the staff. Pray for our needs. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Uh, Secondly, Paul says, you can fan the flame, Timothy, of your gift by surrounding yourself with family. Uh, He said in verse 5, I'm reminded of your sincere faith, which first lived in your grandmother Lois and your mother Eunice, and I am persuaded now lives in you also. Lois and Eunice had the most impact on Timothy's life as a child. And so Timothy was living that out. It's no surprise that parents and grandparents had the most influence on kids' lives. Of the 168 hours a week, as a youth pastor, I probably gave maximum three or four hours a week to a couple students. And usually maybe just one, one and a half hours a week. I invested in students. And yet... God, God wanted to use me as a youth pastor to impact the lives of students. But how much more parents who during the waking hours, the average kid will spend 42 hours in the presence of their parents, if not more. 42 hours a week of the 168 weeks. How much more influence do parents have? Um, 
Who's in your extended family that, that offered you um, great influence, spiritual influence? Train up a child in the way that they should go, and even when they're old, they will not turn from it. I hear testimonies from guys who I disciple who say, you know, I, I lived a lot of years as a prodigal son. But man, I had this grandmother who kept praying for me. She never gave up. Or I had this mother or this dad who waited with open arms, you know, who loved me unconditionally. And now I'm here today because of them. God's faithfulness to answer their prayers. But you might be thinking, well, that's all good, Pastor John, but my upbringing stunk. I didn't have anyone who invested in me spiritually. And to be honest, it It's a source of discouragement for me when I think about it, even today. Well, that's when we need to remember that our family extends beyond our biological family to the family of God. Jesus was told that his mother and brother wanted, brothers wanted to talk to him when he was doing ministry. And so someone came to get Jesus and, and they were all busy. And then Jesus said in Matthew 12, 48, who is my mother and who is my brothers? <clears throat> Pointing to his disciples, he said, who are, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother, my sister, and my mother. Paul loved and invested in Timothy as family, as a son. He said in verse 2, To Timothy, my dear son, night and day I constantly remember you. <clears throat> I remember when I was in high school, the secretary who had a tremendous impact and influence on my life. She didn't know if I was a Christian or not, but she told me she prayed for me as I came in. And, and then she prayed for a lot of other students. One day she started this lunchtime Bible study across the parking lot in a church. And uh, so she invited me. I went over one day. She promised food or something, pizza. So I went over there and we had a Bible study. And I continued to go over there my senior year. And this young secretary of the high school had a tremendous impact on us. And we became like family ever since because she loved us unconditionally. I remember my Wheaton, <clears throat> Wheaton College floor RAs who had a tremendous impact on my life. I remember a youth pastor who encouraged me in ministry when I first started out volunteering in a youth group in a Wesleyan church. And he said, John, you, got, you have potential to be a youth pastor. Have you ever thought about that? Uh, This church is filled with adults who speak into the lives of youth and children and love them to Christ and love our role models for them. We are family. But sometimes our spiritual flame goes out when we want to isolate ourselves from others or, you know, or we don't want to be involved in church that much. It's me and God, me and Jesus, and I'll just stay home. Obviously, you're not that because you're here. But if you're to remove a log from a fire, then within minutes that log will start to smoke and stink and eventually go out. It has to remain with the other logs in the fire to burn and blaze. You remove it, it will go out. Same is true spiritually. Satan loves it when we stray from the body of Christ. Just like in this picture, you know, the wolves surround this one buffalo that strayed from the herd. Satan does everything to try to separate us from one another, um, which reminds me of this joke. A tourist said, hey, say, look at the big bunch of buffaloes. And the ranch hand said, not bunch, herd. The tourist said, herd what? The ranch hand said, 
heard of buffaloes. The tourist said, sure, I've heard of buffaloes. There's a big bunch of them right over there. Well, God has called us to be unified as a church. Unity. Uh, John 13, everyone will know that you're my disciples by the way you love each other and invest in each other. Colossians 3, and over all these virtues, put on love which binds them all together in perfect unity when we love each other. You can't love each other when we're separated from each other. But how many know that it's hard to love even family members, especially family members, because we know the good, the bad, and the ugly of our family members. Yet we still love them unconditionally. We don't say, man, you've upset me one too many times. Go find another parent. You know, we don't do that. American pastor arrived in Scotland um, as he was beginning his first call out of seminary, and he wanted to learn how to be an effective pastor. And one of his mentors in the United States said, go to a different country and learn from there from them. So he went to this small village in Scotland and studied and, and preached there. And when he was going, he went to this church and he asked the pastor there, he said, where's my office? And the guy said, office? That's your parish. That's your office. And he pointed down the road. He said, well, where's your office? Office? My office is out there. Start walking. And so this young pastor on the left here, he went to a house and he knocked on the door, and this guy opened with big red hair, literally wearing a kilt, a beard, red hair, blue eyes, staring at him, and he was like freaking out. He said he knocked like this to be friendly, you know, and uh, the guy answered it, and he said, I'm a past new pastor in town. Uh, well, come on in. Come on, have some tea together. And so they sat down and had tea, and in the course of conversation, the pastor said, would you like to have a Bible study with me and study the life of Jesus? And the man said, no. Well, how about if we gather some of your friends together and just kind of research what this Jesus... No, I'm not interested. But in the course of some more conversation, the man said, well, show me one of your... Show me a map, he said. A map? A map of what? A map of this Jesus. And so he got handed... He opened the back of the Bible, turned to the map, and he said, well, this is where Jesus ministered, like in Galilee and, and Judea and the Holy Land. And, and so... This red-headed Scottish man studied the map for a while. Closing, he said, I guess I could believe in your Jesus then. And he was one to the Lord by looking at a Bible map. Why? What was his rationale? His rationale was, this holy land is about the same size as our tiny little village here in Scotland. And if, if Jesus could be, have been believed in, while walking and ministering for three years here, and everyone could see everything about him, and they yet still believed in him, then I too can believe in him. You see, he said, I thought that Jesus would have been one way in public and then a different person in private, but that would be impossible, even in our village. And so he's one to Christ through that. That's what family is, though. What makes a family or church family the real, authentic deal is when everybody sees the good and the bad and the ugly in each other and we still love each other and accept each other. Um, I preached through 1 Timothy and I've heard from a few of you that say, I just don't agree with your take on different things. And I said, that's okay. That's okay. Because we don't want uniformity here. We want unity. Uniformity is you need to agree with everything the senior pastor believes. And if you don't, then you can't serve here. You can't lead. You really can't worship here and be happy. 
That's uniformity. That's what cults are made of. Covenant Church says we can agree to disagree on matters that are non-essential to salvation. Obviously, if it's a blatant sin issue, we're going to agree upon that. Or there's one way to, to salvation through Jesus. There's one God. There's the Holy Trinity. We'll all agree on these things. Every Christian church would agree on the Apostles' Creed, for example. But every church has their, their emphasis, you know, if you will, on theology. And there's just a little bit different. But it's non-essential to our salvation. And so that, the covenant celebrates that. We have freedom here. And it's, it's unity, not uniformity. So when we focus on the family and or the family of God, then um, that's what we believe. Because we believe in the Bible, God's word. So how do we fan the flame? Uh, we do so thoroughly by maintaining the, an attitude of perseverance. Paul understood that suffering was a part of the Christian life. In verse 15, he concludes this chapter, You know that everyone in the province of Asia has deserted me, Timothy, including Phygelus and Homogenes. Everyone in the province of Asia, that would have included many in Ephesus, the modern-day Turkey. All these people were deserting the Apostle Paul as he was in chains. Why do you suppose so many deserted this, this saint? You know, this apostle, this teacher, this preacher, this leader who we admire. Why did so many desert Paul? I believe for two reasons. First, they feared persecution. Paul was in chains. He was placed in a dungeon. He was in death row. And people did not want to associate themselves with with Paul because if so, they too might be arrested. Just like today in other countries, if you're associated with a pastor who's in, in jail, then you too will be arrested because it's illegal to be a Christian. And so they said, that's too much of a cost for me. And so they deserted Paul and they left him pretty much abandoned. If someone were to associate with a criminal like Paul, then uh, whatever. Uh, and, and then and, and secondly, well, 2 Timothy 1, 2 it says, for the Spirit of God gave us, does not make us timid, but gives us a power of love and self-discipline and power. So do not be ashamed of the testimony about our Lord or of me, his prisoner. Rather, join with me in suffering for the gospel by the power of God. Timothy, God's not going to leave you abandoned. Even though you might suffer for your faith, he won't abandon you. Um, he'll give you his power. In chapter 3, in fact, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will be persecuted. Um, Other people deserted Paul because they disagreed with his teaching. They just disagreed with his leadership. In verse 11, and of this gospel, I was appointed herald and an apostle and a teacher. This is why I'm suffering as I am, he said because people didn't like my teaching. Paul was convinced that though God wouldn't abandon him, in verse 12, yet this is no cause for shame because I know whom I believed and I'm convinced that he's able to guard what I've entrusted to him until that day. Paul said, I know what I believe and I'll continue to preach it, that Jesus is the only way against the culture that says there are many ways to salvation. And people will hate me for that. They hated Jesus. 
they'll hate us. But I know whom I believe, and I'm convinced that he will guard me. He will give me a spirit of boldness, of power, and of self-discipline, or a sound mind. God raised up encouragers to help fan the flame of perseverance for Paul. Even when most were abandoning Paul at this time, there were a few who stood with Paul in verse 16, and they made it in God's word to testify to God's pleasure. May the Lord show mercy to the household of Anasiphorus because he often refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. On the contrary, when he was in Rome, he searched hard for me until he found me. He not only associated with Paul, but he searched him out, which would have been dangerous. May the Lord grant that he will find mercy from the Lord on that day. You know very well how many ways he helped me in Ephesus. And God has raised many of you up in 15 years I've been here, uh, and you've been sources of encouragement for me and for my family and for the staff, uh, just in your words of encouragement, sometimes your words of constructive criticism, uh, but at the same time you say, hey, I'm, I'm still your friend, even though I'm telling you this. And, uh, and so because of that, I think it's made my ministry here for 15 years a joy Many of my colleagues, man, they've been, they've been chewed up and spit out by their churches. So many of them because of disagreements. But you haven't. And so I want to thank you for being so gracious, even amidst our differences at times. And needless to say, it's been a very difficult year and a half. If you're to sit at staff meetings during this past year and a half or two of COVID, man, we were in turmoil as a staff. It's been incredibly difficult to know how to lead a church of so, much, so many, many people who have so many, so many diverse opinions about things. It's a lose-lose situation oftentimes. And, and yet you've been gracious and you've refreshed the souls of those of us on staff because you remain committed to us as we seek to remain committed to you. And perhaps it's been a difficult season for you as well if you've been a teacher or own a business or serve in leadership and business, then perhaps you've experienced the same amount of difficulty. People sometimes fail us, and it's painful. Uh, but, but God's grace is there for us, and we want to be an encouragement to you as well as staff. Uh, just really quick, quick, tiny point, and then I'm done. By, finally, he said, exercise your spiritual gifts, Timothy. That's how you fan the flame, I begin where I left off. I remind you to fan into flame the gift of God which is in you, Timothy. God has given each one of us a spiritual gift for the purpose of building up the body of Christ so that we remain committed to one another. Sometimes we become weary. Sometimes we become discouraged. Sometimes we forget. But every time we choose to exercise our calling, it's like blowing oxygen on a flame of fire that's going out. Not only does it breathe life into others whom we're serving, but it breathes life into us because we're fulfilling the purpose for which God has for us. I used to feel guilty for not 
uh, feeling really passionate if I had two weeks off from preaching and teaching and, and leading and just, I was on vacation, I kind of let down and I was lazy spiritually and I used to feel guilty and, and the accuser of the believers came to shame me and guilt me saying, John, you're, you just study the Bible because you have to preach. You're just performance based and you're a fake. And I, I, get, I was so self-condemned until the Lord whispered something to me one day. He said, John, um, it's okay to have a vacation, first of all. But secondly, when you are engaged in doing your ministry, those are the times when you're leaning on me and you're abiding in me and you're seeking me. And those are the times when I will breathe life in you, when you abide in me and trust in me. And you should feel excited and invigorated when you're using your gifts because that's how I created you and wired you. And so I, I no longer feel guilty for letting down at times. But when we are engaged in using our gifts, we fan the flame of our gift and, and our passion for Christ. Next time you build a campfire, remember that sometimes you'll have to fan it back into flame because emotionally we go like this. And God understands that. And so it gives us some things to think about when we're feeling like our flame is flickering, uh, he says, remember to make prayer your priority first of all. Start there. Secondly, remember to surround yourself with family members. Not only your family members who influenced you, but the family of God. We need each other. Or we'll be like that buffalo that ran away from the bunch of buffalo. <laughs> and thirdly, uh, maintain an attitude of perseverance, especially when you're going through hard times. And then finally, exercise your spiritual gifts. And, and that will fan your flame back into glowing fire where we could be the light of the world and the warmth of God's love to our culture. Let's pray. So Lord Jesus, I thank you for my brothers and sisters in Christ. Um, I, I thank you for the students who are in Nebraska, many of them at their retreat, and along with the youth counselors. I pray that you bless them and give them a safe trip back home today as well. Uh, but we, we thank you for this church, Lord, that you love us and that you've drawn us together as a family with all the good and the bad and the ugly, and you tell us to love each other unconditionally. And thank you, Lord, for the love that I've experienced and the staff has from these people who have encouraged us and refreshed our souls. May we continue to do so in Christ's name. Amen.